So I'm gonna turn it on now, so I'm done fooling around. So now I'm being recorded, so now I gotta be super serious. Okay, um, this is Good Shepherd Sunday. But before we go on, are there any questions or comments about anything? You know, what's going on in the outside world, um, about the liturgical calendar? Uh, Good Shepherd Sunday as the fourth Sunday of Easter is a relatively recent thing. It, it's, um, we, we follow something called the, the three-year lectionary cycle. It was developed in the Roman Catholic Church with Vatican II, and we adopted it. We have adapted the three-year cycle to be more Lutheran. In other words, some of the readings, we uh, didn't think were as strong as, as other readings, so now we have a three-year lectionary cycle. And some pastors that I know favor the one-year cycle, I favor the three-year cycle for the simple reason, you get more of the Word of God. And, and especially you're able to focus, like this year is C, year C, so we're able to focus more specifically on lessons in Luke and see kind of how Luke presents the good news of Jesus Christ. And then B would have been Mark and A would be um, Matthew. First, the one-year series, you just got the lessons in and out. So, so the neat thing is that, that this year, for example, you might hear uh, the feeding the 5,000 from Luke. Next year, you might hear it from Matthew, right? So, so you get to hear maybe even the same lessons you know, slightly different spin on it. Easter, obviously, you heard different Easter accounts, et cetera, like that. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Good Shepherd Sunday, but I've, I've come across the last uh, couple weeks some really good articles. Uh, I reread one that I've known about for, gee, um, well, it's written in 1995, and so you can see that's, that's 27 years ago. I didn't, I didn't quote in the article, but, but they referred to uh, what you learned from the Donahue show. Right? That, that really dates you. And so, uh, I mean, when, when the article refers to the Donahue show, but, but I'm really dated when um, I can remember a time when there was no Donahue show. <laughs> so that's how old I am. So, so that's, uh, so, so just, uh, so youngsters, like, like, like Mrs. Schultz there, if I say Donahue show, do you have any clue what I'm talking about? That, that Donahue show would have been the, when, when Oprah had her show kind of competition, you know, um, during that period of time. So, okay. Um, so, Dr. Dean Wenthe wrote this wonderful article, is mainly geared for pastors, called Entrance into the Biblical World. Okay. And the point of the article in 1995 was that, that for example, why do we as pastors um, learn biblical languages? Why do you learn Greek and Hebrew? So that you can more, you can better see God's word as expressed in his original languages. This is not to doubt the ESV or to, or to doubt other Bible translations, but there's no way of conveying 100% words from one language to another. And I think everyone under, has understood that, right? Okay, and so, but also to learn the, the times, but also let the Bible speak on its own terms, not, and let the Bible be the critique of culture not the other way around. And of course we see that left and right in our, our day and age, that the church must change. To what? To what? And then 10 years from now, what will you want the church to be? 20 years from now, what will you want the church to be? Okay, so, so from this article, I have uh, this wonderful paragraph and kind of, uh, um, you know, I, I think it, it, it's, it's uh, kind of eye-opening. So the centrality of the crucified Christ. So, so the Bible, when you have the Bible on its own terms, 
he gave a list of, of things, for example, the, the centrality of the crucified Christ, the centrality of worship, and there's several others, but I just want this, especially this first paragraph here. The centrality of the crucified Christ, which is to say the biblically defined Christ, it will simply not do to fashion one's Christology according to Zig Ziglar and motivational thinking along the lines of power of positive thinking or in the categories of modern therapeutic models. One can change a church into a user-friendly religiosity that imitates the latest of Disney World, but such a construal will project a cultural Christology of our day rather than biblical Christology. To pick but one popular example, not a few American Christians, not, for not a few American Christians, Christ is presented as some sort of divine fireman or insurance salesman. He is the one, according to this understanding of the faith, who gets us to heaven. Heaven within this framework is the real end and purpose of the faith. At its worst, this reading of the biblical witness paganizes the very heart of the scriptures. A place like Valhalla is not what the scriptures are recommending to us. No, the scriptures are recommending Christ. As Jesus himself puts it, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. The triune God is what makes heaven great, not its mild temperatures in comparison with Sheol. Similarly, the worst curse of hell is the absence of God. Okay, so questions, comments, right this. Here's the radical thing. Most often, and even among us faithful Christians, we, we, we tend to think in terms of, are you going to heaven or going to hell, right? It's very common language, right? The biblical language is, are you going to be with Jesus forever or are you going to be absent from God forever? Okay, does this make sense? Okay, and so Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is to be absent. He's talking about what happens to us immediately if we die. To be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Jesus to the thief on the cross says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the key thing is to be with me. John 14, which is quoting the article, that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. See, the object is to be with Jesus, not to be in heaven. Does that make sense? Heaven is where Jesus is, okay? Now, this does not mean that Jesus isn't gonna have a wonderful place for all of eternity, okay? This is, I'm not saying that at all. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of God, with God is prepared for those who love him. But the idea of going to an afterlife and the prime concern is not to be with Jesus as pagan. So you hear oftentimes with even the church, when I die, I'll go and be with my mom. When I die, I'll go and be with my wife. If I die, I'll go with me, my, my child. In other words, somebody who, who died and gone ahead of us. If I, that is our prime concern, it's pagan. That my mother, uh, oh, my mother's alive, but my father, my grandparents are with the Lord right now. To see them will be a blessing. But the prime purpose of, of after this life is not to see my relatives, but to see Jesus face to face. Does this make sense? Okay, and so, and so, and so for it, now, now there's some practical consequences. I always give the example right, right here is, um, um, so in this age, we want to be with Jesus now. And where is Jesus promised to be? 
with the divine service, right? And now, now Jesus, of course, is with us always, with all the faithful. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a comforting verse. Many years ago, I, I, I probably told a story about a woman who did not know Christ. She's a relative of one of our, of our families in Bethany. Went up to Edward. She was dying. And she confesses, I'm scared. I've done bad. I didn't just hold her hand, pat her on the head. I said, yes, you have. You have done bad. Let me tell you about that. And then I proceeded to tell you about Jesus that died on the cross. And I kept on, after I told her about Christ, I said, this Jesus who died on the cross for you promised to be with you forever. Visit her the next day, and I had her confess back to me who's going to be with you forever. She confessed Christ, that he's going to be with her forever. An hour later, she died. Okay? So the idea is always to be with Jesus. Okay? So in this life, if we're with Jesus, we are happy. Um, again, I love drinking coffee. But to be quite honest, the coffee from the styrofoam cup is not the best coffee I've ever drank in my life. However, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Except, however, I would rather drink this cup of coffee with my brothers and sisters in Christ studying God's word than be at the finest restaurant and sitting around a table with a bunch of pagans who are talking about their, their latest exploits or, or how much they hate the church. What? <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so the point is, is that we want to be with Jesus. I, I can think of, there's been many a time where I've, I've uh, been, you know, at a nicer place or some of this, but I wasn't with people that are really liked, like a banquet or some of this. I got, you know, I mean, sometimes stuck at a table, no, no one, and no one's talking to me. Food might be good, but I really don't want to be here. Food might be good. Versus, for example, we used to have the habit when our children were younger of leaving Christmas after the church service and starting to drive to Georgia. I would rather be in my car with my family eating a peanut butter sandwich and having a bottle of water than I would be at a fancy restaurant with people I don't want to be with. I want to be with Jesus, and the good news is Jesus wants to be with you. So this paragraph, so the paradigm is, is don't think in terms of, oh, I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell. I want to be with Jesus. And again, the worst part of hell is the absence of God, so you understand the cross better then. Because on the cross, what does Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pain of the cross of nails and, and, uh, and, and being stuck up there and being parched thirst, the, the horror of the cross. And we do know from, from, um, from Roman literature how horrible the cross was. Pales in comparison with the suffering for your sin and mine. And so Jesus at that moment is suffering what we would suffer for all of eternity. So we praise God for Jesus. We praise God to be with him. And so what heaven is, is an extension of what the divine service is. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. And so it uh, goes back, and I probably told you the story, uh, I, I, you know, do this in confirmation classes or, or, or when I teach in middle school. How many of you want to go to, how many of you want to go to heaven? Everyone raise their hand. How many of you want to go to hell? No one raised their hand. I said, how many of you realize that all heaven is is one long church service? And, and you can see these, these seventh graders thinking, I'm trapped, I'm trapped, you know? So, so I don't want to go to hell. So, 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 anyway, so, so um, but, but the eternal divine service, 
will have the lamb at its center and its throne, as you heard in the, uh, the Revelation lesson. You won't have me, and we'll also have the distractions. But, but really, that is an accurate picture because where two or three are gathered in my name. Of course, of course eternal life is also described as this marriage feast of the lamb, the eternal banquet of Isaiah chapter 25, the streets of gold. But the most important thing is that we gather around Jesus. And the most important thing right now is that we gather around Jesus. Okay, so um, I just want to bring that article to you. And then I, uh, speaking, of, speaking of biblical categories, I read another mind-blowing article. I didn't quote it. I didn't uh, copy it down for you. It was, it was from um, First Things from a few years ago. It was written by a Roman Catholic. So the article was entitled, Against Heterosexuality. Against Heterosexuality. But the point is, is that no one in all of civilization thought in terms of heterosexual or homosexual until the latter part of the 1800s. These aren't even categories of societal thinking. These are categories imposed when society was opposing the Lord and now wanting to be free, quote unquote free, of biblical constraints of morality. So these categories of heterosexual or homosexual are, are, are imposed categories, not biblical categories. Now, the, now certainly, in biblical times, they knew about homosexual acts, right? Uh, but, but this idea of, of orientations and stuff like this is not a biblical category. And for most of history, it's not a human category, even in society. So, so when we start using society's categories, we run into problems. Speak biblically. Think biblically. Enter into the biblical world, okay? So, it's Good Shepherd Sunday. Okay, questions, comments? right now about anything else, but we want to talk about the Good Shepherd. We have like umpteen lessons of Good Shepherd to talk about today. Yes, go ahead, Ty. Go ahead. I thought your description of the sheep in the service was spot on. Spot on? Yeah. Yeah, so, so you, would, yeah, you would understand. We were outside of Casper, about eight miles outside of Casper, and I always remember the first morning, because we had driven across western Nebraska through the night, getting Casper, and I said, how far are those mountains away? And I thought, you know, you know, so, and, and, and Mr. Johnson says, oh, about 150 miles. And so I said, whoa, the visibility in Wyoming is something. And it was kind of, kind of neat because uh, you could see the airport and the Blue Angels would come over. They, they were training all week long. They'd fly over the ranch. And so Shh, I could probably have told you, the, not, not literally, but just about the color of the eyes of the pilots. They were flying right over our house and stuff like this. The ranch I was living on. Got, he owned the dental lab in town, so he had a play ranch. You know, so it's only like 5,000 acres or some of this, but, we, but we, we helped raise the sheep and stuff like this. And Mrs. Johnson would adopt the little lambs that were rejected by the ewes, and so hopefully raise them, many of them, so many times you wake up in the morning, they'd die, you know, for whatever reason. Cause but we were trying to nurse and bring them up, but also we had all these sheep. And, I, and, I got, and, and one day I got to help Mr. Johnson. We, we, uh, we, we um, changed many of the little boy lambs to... Um, to uh, raise their pitch of their voice a little bit higher, you know, so, so to speak. So, so, so that was a, I, I got to hold the, the, these little male lambs and, the, and, and the, Mr. Johnson took care of the rest. So anyway, so, but Kevin, yes, question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the issue, yeah, the, the issue with Luke 16, the, the, the story of Lazarus and rich, and the rich man, 
is, is that, is this a parable, is, is how much does this accurate description, is it a point-to-point -point description of eternal life, or is it a point to speak in terms of, of the difference between Lazarus and the, and, the, and the rich man, the bosom of Abraham, stuff like this, that's, that's a, the question right there, and I don't know if I, I have all the answers uh, to, to that, that but that's, that's part of the issue right, right there. But, but certainly right there, what, I think the main thing about that story is the response is that not to send back somebody from the dead, but they have Moses and the prophets, which is the word of God. So Moses and the prophets would be the two parts. At, at the time of Jesus, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, would be regarded as Moses and the prophets, the Torah and the Navi'im. Okay, that would be the, so you got the word of God. You don't need somebody coming back from the dead. Again, this is the, the theology of glory, which would say, oh, you need spectacular things to make somebody believe. No, you need the word of God. And this is very, this is quite comforting because, because I stand here, and, and, the, and the unique thing is I'm standing here, you know, speaking to you the word of God, and in a few weeks or a couple of months, standing right here will be somebody who's younger than my daughter speaking the word of God to you, okay? But every bit, whether it's from his lips or my lips, is the word of God. And faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, okay? So, so, okay, very good. So, yeah, yeah, so my, uh, my summer with sheep in Wyoming, and then also seeing some sheep when I was studying in Israel, you know, wandering, uh, uh, marching. We, we hiked that partially the road from Jerusalem to, to, uh, to Jericho, about the worst place in the world to hike. I mean, it's just a it's very, very rugged territory. Um, it was very hard, very, very consuming because it's just the heat, humidity, you're below sea level. Just was, just taxed you tremendously, and I was I was a young guy back then for the hike. I was I don't know what I'd do now if I had to face that because it was saw like where the thief and the good Samaritan parable would have taken place. You know so so okay so Good Shepherd Sunday. Obviously we have Psalm 23, um, and Psalm 23 um, needs to be resurrected from the dead. What do I mean by that? Um, is that Psalm 23 is easy to be sentimental about. However, what's the first line is, is the Lord is my shepherd, and the background word for Lord right there is Yahweh. This is God's covenantal name. So it separates him from everyone else. Psalm 23 in our culture has been, been reduced to being this bland thing that we can get away with. Not anymore, by the way, because our culture is just flat out rejected any allusions to the Bible now. I mean, we're, we're in the anti-Christian age of our outside culture, but there used to be a point in time which kind of this generic religiosity of America, Americana, right? Uh, let's go back. I, I did go back and re-watch the entire scene from Bonanza. <laughs> I, I remember watching the rerun of Bonanza growing up, and, and, and somebody dies in Bonanza, and there's Ben Cartwright at the grave reading Psalm 23. NBC TV, you know, so, and, and everyone gets this warm feeling in, in their heart, right? But it's actually very specific about God, who's the covenantal God. And then, and then also in that is that it, um, Psalm 23 makes use of a, of a Hebrew verb form called the hiphil, where God causes this to happen. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It is God who is doing this, because sheep naturally don't want to do what they ought to do. I mean, as Ty will say, it's, it's a, 
And, and what I did not leave out in the sermon is that, is that adult sheep who don't want to do what you want them to do can be very large and very muscular. And this is where the staff can be uh, quite, I didn't have a staff, but, but, they're, but they're strong. They're, they're very strong. And so if they don't want to do what you want to do, you, you have to cajole them. But that's where the dogs come in handy and stuff like this. So it's a, um, but, but sheep, they want to go astray. And so, and so the Lord makes us. And of course, knowing the geography where David is, is that, is that good pasture can, and good water can be hard to find. If the Lord is not bringing you to the good pasture, the Lord is not leading you beside the still waters, you will die. So, his, so the good pasture and the good waters are, are his word, his word alone. Yes, Linda, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and really highlighted how and and then th- your rod, thy rod, and thy staff, they, they come from me. And so, so also that the shepherd protects his sheep. Um, it's not a pretty sight if you see uh, a sheep that a coyote got a hold of, okay? Um, and I don't think the sheep would be particularly happy when they finally see the coyotes about to eat them. So, so the Lord protects us. And, and then obviously, this is good images. And then it's in the presence of our enemies. And this is why, you know, I mean, it is such a comfort. What can the world do against me? What's the worst thing you do? They, oh, they can kill me. I get to see Jesus forever, right? To ask him with the body, but present with the Lord. Now, I got to tell this because, because obviously, my, my own flesh, my own weak flesh, I want to live, and I don't particularly like to be in dangerous situations. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like my, my, my brother-in-law who volunteered to be an army ranger. You know, I mean, he's, he's much calmer now, but, but, he was, but uh, that's, how, that's how he met my sister because the rangers were stationed in Savannah, but, uh, but he's one of these Urah guys, and I'm sure he has faced some uh, harrowing situations. And of course, Dr. Francisco volunteered to be a Navy SEAL. You know, these guys are crazy, you know, so it's a, um, I don't volunteer to be in danger, but, but, you know, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us, and this, this is the, the great news from Psalm 23. I do want to move on. We got three other lessons, but I, I could talk a lot about Psalm 23. There's actually an article I read, I mean, this is now read in graduate school, about how Psalm 23 became Psalm 23. In other words, Psalm 23 is almost the, the, the emblematic psalm, right? So many people know it, but it would not have been so throughout all the church's history. It would have been just a, there would have been many other psalms, for example, Psalm two or Psalm one. Um, you know, just to name name a couple in the history of the church, Psalm twenty two, referring to the crucifixion of Christ. There would have been other great psalms, but Psalm twenty three kind of got picked up by uh, by, by culture and uh, and got raised up and to an extent neutered from its specifically covenantal language that it obviously starts out with because he is the one and only shepherd. And, and so reading Psalm 23, especially with Christological eyes, is very, very important, okay? So any questions, comments? Because we want to move on to John chapter 10. Questions, comments? Okay. Um, if you have your bulletin, if not, John chapter 10. Um, we're going to start at the, today's gospel lesson starts at verse 22. 
Now, the context of, of this um, is that I have a favor to ask somebody. What do I, I like to drink coffee. Can somebody give me a styrofoam cup? Coffee, make it half and half because I'm an old man now with some cream in it. So, so, so thank you. I just need to, sorry, I'm very demanding. I'm sorry about that, but I, guess I, I, I just got to drink some coffee here. So, okay. So, so what's the context of John chapter 10 where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd? Okay, the context is in John chapter 9, Jesus, by the way, Jesus is in Jerusalem. If you remember, when we talk about the background of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke has Jesus only in Galilee. But John has Jesus quite frequently in Jerusalem. He has them both, both Galilee and Jerusalem. And this section of John, um, and, and earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem, mainly in the temple. And so in John chapter 9, this is outside the temple, but, but maybe it's not, I, I can't remember, but John chapter 9, we have this story Jesus healing a man born blind. In the Old Testament, the, we don't have any of the prophets healing a blind person. The closest thing you see is that the army of the Syrians come to, to kidnap um, Elisha. Yeah, yeah, right here. So, thank you very much. Thank You're you, welcome. thank you. Oh, it's thank a little you. lighter. I'll bend, I'll bend you for you later, okay? Okay, so, okay, so thank you. Okay, um, so Elisha, um, do you remember Elisha, and, and he's at the town of Dothan, and the Syrians are going to come kidnap him because this prophet's doing all these bad things, you know. Um, he's not, he's just being a prophet of the Lord. So they're going to kidnap him, and his servant gets all upset, so Elisha prays, and then, and then his servant sees the chariots of fire surrounding Dothan protecting Elisha. And then God blinds the army of the Syrians, and Elisha leads them right in the middle of the camp of the Israelite army, and, they, and then they open their eyes, and they're completely surrounded, and they surrender, and they send them back to, to, to Syria, okay? That's the only example, but that was somebody that has been blinded, and then given back their sight at a specific time. But somebody who was blind, and then meeting a prophet, has never found in the Old Testament, much less somebody born blind. Born blind. Most cases of blindness at the time of, of, of Jesus would have been from some sort of condition or disease that had an onset after somebody was born, right? Okay, and there's still a lot of, a lot of people who are blind because of something that, that happened at congenital and or some disease that blinds them even in our age. Okay, so Jesus heals this man born blind, but because he did on Sabbath, the Jews don't believe in him. And so Jesus closes John chapter 9 is that is that because he, he says this, he said to them, um, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say that you see your sin remains on you. Your sin remains. Okay, so this is the context where Jesus then talks about being the door. Then he talks about earlier in John chapter 10, he, he says, um, I am the door. Um, and then he goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. And this is truly a comfort. As I, as I said in the sermon, and this just occurred to me, earthly shepherds raise sheep for personal gain, right? I mean, this is why they raise sheep. You know, you got to track the land out, uh, uh, out in Wyoming. Why do, why do they raise sheep out there? Because it's much more economical and, and profitable 
And quite frankly, sometimes it's the only thing the land can support as opposed to raising cattle. But you shear the wool and you eat the meat, right? Mutton is not bad if you cook it right, but it's just a, but, but it's not the best meat, you know. Leg of lamb, that's another case though, right? So it's a mint jelly, but that's a, okay. Um, but the good shepherd is the shepherd only for the benefit of his sheep. Only 100%. And then, as opposed to an earthly shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep and takes it up again. That's kind of interesting. The Gospel of John is the, is the Gospel where Jesus speaks in terms of raising himself from the dead. And maybe we've talked about this before. In the biblical language, typically, for example, all of Paul's references, Paul will never say Jesus raised himself from the dead. It's always the Father raised him from the dead. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I raise myself, I, I give my life, and I raise it up again. Not that there's a conflict, because we have the Holy Trinity, but I just want to point out this, this issue that's going on in the Gospel of John. So, we continue on then with, um, with, with verse 22 and, and following them. I just want to highlight, um, you know, that they said, you know, tell us plainly. Well, I did tell you, and you didn't believe me, okay? So, so I, I kind of go overboard. For those who are eight there, I kind of go overboard on, on this, but it's, a, it's called pastors and their sermons. You know, not quite accurate, because Jesus pretty much, you know, they, they know what's going on. And John 8, 58, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews picked up stones to stone him, okay? And so here, Jesus tells him, and, he, and, he, and, he's, and he's speaking, um, and then, uh, um, and then my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give to them eternal life, and they shall in no way be destroyed forever. And and no one is can, and not anyone can can snatch them from my from my hand. The, my Father, who has given to me, um, is greater. Given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch from the hand of my Father. I and the Father are one. Okay, so, so this is great news. No one can snatch. If Jesus has you in his hands, you are safe forever. You do not have to worry. You know, uh, uh, if, if you live you know, near, near predators out, out in the wild, it's just part of doing business that you're gonna lose some of your sheep or some of your cattle to, uh, to predators. My, my brother-in-law um, lives where, uh, for example, a couple years ago, he was on his four-wheeler and he saw a little wolf cub along the side of the road, just down the road from the property. It's, a, it's owned by a, by a corporation, so no one lives there. He looked up and there was 15 adult wolves just above the, the little wolf cub. And so he t took his four-wheeler and he went the other way. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so every once in a while, he, he loses a calf to wolves. And, uh, um, and we won't call the DNR um, about what might happen after that. So it's a, okay. Um, but, but anyway, so I'm being recorded. Sorry about that. So, okay. So, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's in the context of him talking about the 
yeah, yeah. And what he's talking about is, and he's being very confrontational because he's in the temple. And so these people, you know, it's all Christ-centered. So if you're not understanding scripture to be pointing to you, which is pointing to Christ, then you're a thief or a robber. God talk without Jesus is not God talk. Okay, and so this is something I, I you know, I mildly correct um, our younger people. I mean, I, um, you know, when, when they, for their vocabulary, if at all possible, you can say the word Jesus, say the word Jesus, just not the word God. And somebody says, oh, I believe in God. If you can't say, obviously, you know, I believe in Jesus, 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 you know, instead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or I baptize in the name of Jesus and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't work, right? So we do have to say the Father, the Spirit, where it's appropriate. But if you can say the name Jesus, say the name Jesus. Okay, and so, so John 10, 31, I do want to point out, is in John 10, 31, you have, you have this. Um, again, they bore up um, uh, rocks, um, in order they, they might stone him. Okay, so, so this was, you know, that, that, that they know what Jesus is saying. And so they're reacting to Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd. They want to, they want to stone him, and he just, he just leaves at that time because his hour is not, not taking place. In the Gospel of John, very next chapter, John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus, and he's decaying. Four days in the tomb, he decays. And what's the reaction? Caiaphas says one man should die for the people. And then they plot not only to kill Jesus, but they want to get rid of the evidence. They want to kill Lazarus, too. And so if you read even John's account of Palm Sunday, Lazarus is present, and then the reaction is that they want to kill both of them. Okay, so now, Jesus the Good Shepherd does not leave us without shepherds. And so the word pastor means shepherd, and you have this wonderful lesson in, in, in Acts chapter, chapter 20, and there really is a, a lot going on. On, on here, um, and this is our, our first lesson today. And though he gathers the elders of the church, I mean the pastors of the church, um, our our current officer in, in at Bethany called elder is not a biblical term, but it's a rather practical term. Order in the church is not prescribed by the Bible, so we have this office called elders. But the elders in the Bible would be the pastors of the church of Ephesus. Um, so there would be more than one church there. They they come, they gather together. And, and Paul basically says, you're not going to see me again. I'm going to Jerusalem, and, and the Holy Spirit's warning me, and that's what happens to Jerusalem. He gets arrested for doing nothing but being faithful to the Torah. Okay, because Paul always regards the Torah as Christ's Torah. And so he's in the temple, but they arrest him anyway. Um, and so he knows this. But yeah, this one verse, so, so he's, now, I go on. Um, but here's what he says. Um, verse 28 be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. This is my office, to care for the sheep, to be fierce about it. You know, um, and so if you, if you ever wonder, you know, why we pastors are very careful about what's, what sort of literature is, you know, printed in, in our week at a glance or, or handed out or stuff like this, why we care what's being taught in our, our, our day school, what's taught in our Sunday school, is because we're overseers of the flock of God, and we want to protect the sheep. And we want the sheep to go to the good pasture of the true word of, of God. Because he says there's fierce wolves that come in, and not sparing the front, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Of course, there's all sorts of, the name of Jesus has been all sorts of twisted things spoken throughout history. I do want to speak, though, okay, 
questions, comments before we go on? I do want to speak to one very interesting verse. Let's go back to verse 28. Did you catch this in verse 28? Okay. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, okay? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The blood of God. Now, you and I don't have that, that a problem with that, but a lot of people did over the centuries. In fact, you'll see alternate Greek manuscripts where they changed that word God to, to Christ. Okay, because, because a Greek way of thinking would not be that God could shed blood, but we know because of the incarnation, God did shed his blood because of the personal union, true God and true man. So it's a very interesting verse. It's one of the very, very few Bible verses where Jesus is directly called G-O-D, God. There's not too many of them in the New Testament. Generally speaking, the code of the New Testament, God is God the Father, Lord, which has the background of the Hebrew word Yahweh, would refer to, to Christ, Jesus Christ. This is why when you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saying Jesus is Yahweh. Or Thomas, Thomas also, listen to his, my Lord and my God one of these very few times where he's saying, my Yahweh and my Elohim. Boom! Thomas, you're confessing Thomas. So let's get rid of that uh, doubting Thomas business uh, once and for all. Okay, Schumacher's just droning on about this passage here. But, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. And, and of course, you know, thinking, you know, is, 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 <clears throat> I always remember the first time I read this, especially reading this uh, and, and seeing, seeing this in, in Greek and then looking at the kind of the manuscript history some people couldn't handle this um, and so and so but the church of God which he obtained with his own blood what a confession of Christ as true God and also true man wonderful Bible verse right there then finally finally um, any questions or comments about our Good Shepherd um, our epistle reading is this is picture of, of eternal life and, and here, and here, um, and there's so much in this lesson, but I want to go um, to uh, verse 14. And uh, uh, it's, in the, it's Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. I'm, I'm cheating. I'm using the bulletin from today. Okay, so it's a Revelation chapter, chapter 7, beginning at, um, at verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. The reason I bring this up is, is that their robes are made white in the blood of the lamb. And of course, you know, this makes no sense at all. I mean, because uh, we, we, we want to get blood stains out, right? You know, um, and in the old days where, where, where quite often, you know, pretty much every man wore a white shirt and tie to work, right? You know, what happens if you have blood on your shirt and you come home from the day of that blood's been on your shirt all day long? How do you get the blood out and it's tough and stuff like this? It's, it's hard, but here, you're made white by the blood of the lamb. In other words, made pure by the blood of the lamb because only Jesus the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sins, Colossians 1, verse 20. Okay. <clears throat> and they serve him day and the night. Okay. And so, 
So tell this, I, didn't, I haven't done this one yet, but tell, your, tell the seventh graders, all heaven is going to be is serving. It's not going to be continuous work for the Lord. How's that sound? Forever and ever. You have to work. Okay, so, so okay, okay. I love seventh graders, too, by the way. You know, but it's just it's funny to see their eyes light up. Okay, um, okay. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So our shepherd never ends. The Lamb is the shepherd forever. And then, of course, and this is... Obviously, you know, not only from Psalm 23, but other, other places in the Old Testament, for he will guide them to springs of living water. Um, and, and I have to, do have to make the point that, that the Old Testament theme of God being our shepherd is a very, very prominent theme. You know, Psalm 79, Psalm 78, Psalm 80, for example, just three psalms I can think of off my top of my head, Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, so this is a very, very prominent theme right there. So the lamb will continue to shepherd us. So we'll have a good shepherd forever. And, and then you, you notice right here, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, this time we'll be referring to the Father, wiping every tear from their eyes. So you have no more tears. And so uh, um, the shampoo gets it wrong. Um, so it's a... So... Uh, because uh, we do have tears in this age. In fact, in fact, this is, you know, Luther, the catechism... Um, um, old Catechism, Veil of Tears. How many of you remember that? Now it's called a Valley of Sorrows in the New Catechism, but Veil of Tears that does take us from this age and, and, and from this Veil of Tears uh, under seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer in the Old Catechism that I was raised under. So this world is, is a hard, hard world. A week and a half ago, little... Um, one of my classmates from seminary, I see a post on Facebook, his wife dies. She's 61 years old. You know, I've already, um, I know um, several, I have already had classmates from seminary already die. You know, um, you know, so many people, I mean, that, that I already know of my age, much less younger. We've had, you know, tragic deaths, all, you know, so often in our, in our congregation, but, but, I, but people that I would have known and stuff like this, but now suffer and, and, and and, and die, a good friend of mine from college and seminary. I used to spend breaks because I couldn't get to Georgia. His, his, his older brother, so it would have been a couple years older than him, just passed away after a while. So in other words, this is a valley of tears. But our Lord will wipe away every tears. There's not going to be any more tears forever and ever. And we will be shepherded forever and ever. And going back to the original point about the original quote, is that to be with Jesus and to be with the good shepherd is the point of eternal life. Okay, the object isn't just to be absent from this, this world and be able to, you know, um, like you know, going on to, the, to this beautiful golf course and, you know, forever and ever and playing a perfect round. That's, that's not eternal life, you know. I mean, you've seen, there, there, you can get a casket, right, with a golf, golf hole on the outside of it, and he's gone on to the 19th hole. You know, or, or a race theme, you know, got a checkered flag, he finished the race, you know. A casket, much less you can open up the casket and have your, uh, your, your favorite logo of your sports team in it. You know, he's got the best seat in the house now. Or something. You know, this is, this is nonsense. Nonsense. Eternal life is to be with Jesus. Life now is to be with Jesus. I came that they might have life and life to the full. Full life now, no matter what our circumstances, is Jesus. Because only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And he is so good. Again, the shepherd who gives up his life for the sheep and then takes it up again for the sake of the sheep so that we would have our lives forever in him. Amen. So questions, comments? Good Shepherd Sunday. Yes, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, has this been entertained in the past? No. And also, well, like, someone just throwing out to the walls in the States? I don't think it's seriously being entertained, but we, we do know, I mean, in contra that is, is, for example, you know, um, Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, um, and or Jeremiah, that you formed me in the womb, or... Um, you know, we know John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy in the presence of, 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 of Jesus. Yeah, and so, and so we, we, we know that a baby is a, is, a, is a baby. I mean, and it's kind of interesting, not going to name names, but a leading proponent of abortion had a Freudian slip this past week and actually used the phrase, abort a child, in terms of who can judge whether or not somebody should abort a child is the quote. And this is like one of the most premier pro-abortion people in the whole country admits it's a, I, I, I'm probably backtrack later on after after this person. But but abort a child was actually the language used this week. But of course, you, you have, you know, but these this is this is in public speaking, but in private, it is known because now there are serious. Not Christian thinkers, but on the pagan side that that quite quite willingly admit that a parent, even after birth, should have the option to kill their child. No, no, this is, this is, I mean, up to one year old, teaches at Princeton University, but this is quite common in the outside world, that, that if your child is born, has birth defects or some of this, boom, you know, and, and it's said that, that, that trash cans in hospitals cry. This is the truth, and so, and this is, you know, and so, and so, this is, this, these aren't, and this is, this whole thing is not political. It's not political, but it's rather. But we have to understand that this is all part of the radicalized self. Put you onto a book right now. I've been, I, I have the book, and I, um, I, I have to read it, but I have to read a lot of other things, and I have to go to sleep at night sometimes because I'm reading these other articles too. Um, but uh, uh, Carl Truman um, has really recently written a book called Strange New World. Strange New World. It's a takeoff of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. If you never read Huxley's Brave New World, it's the scariest book because it's the, probably the best novel of the 20th century. But Brave New World, where he talks about that, that not, as opposed to in 1984, we'll be controlled by our pleasure. And, and Brave New World, it's... it's Sex and drugs. Ah, okay. So, so, but in, in Carl Truman's, he takes off the title "Strange New World" to talk about the radical individualized self. So now the self is paramount. No matter what the self wants, there are no limits to the self. 
And so he traces this um, in layman's terms. Um, it's, a, it's a historical development. So, so what we see in terms of, of abortion or transgender movement and all of this, these are symptoms of the larger thing where you have to, quote unquote, find yourself. You know, be who you can be, stuff like this. And this is radical because it denies what Western civilization really, and not only Western civilization, but other civilizations have always known, that it's about the community over the self, okay? But, but also, in terms of the Christian church, the anthropology, if we take original sin seriously, do we really want to follow ourselves? Do we want to be true to ourselves? No. No, not at all. So, Strange New World is this new book. It just got published like a month and a half ago. It's on my, it's my to-do list. Um, and I need to sleep sometimes, too. So, um, I, Speaking of that, I have to go set up for the divine service. God bless all.